What's going on, Hootad Nation? It is yours truly, TJ Jones. And yes, I am the host of the State of the Saints podcast. Thank you so much for checking out the State of the Saints podcast, where we talk New Orleans Saints. Thank you so much to all those that are in the chat. Shouts out to everybody that's listening around the country, around the world. Really do appreciate your time. On this edition, we're going to be talking about the Saints quarterback situation. Uh, Derek Carr being released from the Raiders and also Baker Mayfield name coming up with the New Orleans Saints. But uh, I ask that you all hit that like button for those that are watching this live right now. Hit that like button. If you just so happen to be watching a pre-recorded version, once we finish going live and you hear this, please hit the like button. If you're new to the channel and you watch the State of the Saints podcast all the time, I ask that you hit the subscription button. All right, but let's go ahead and get started. Let's talk about Derek Carr. Now, yesterday, um, I did not do a show, of course. Uh, you know, that day was uh, set aside for my wife, you know, Valentine's Day and all. You know, I, I ain't trying to sleep on the couch. A little bit too old for that. <laughs> but anyway, um, of course, I heard the news about Derek Carr being released from the Las Vegas Raiders. And, um, you know, this was a surprise to absolutely no one, especially since we knew that in order for them to keep him on the books, uh, at this particular time on February 15th, uh, if they were to keep him past 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, they would have owed Derek Carr 40 million of them fangs. And for those that don't know what them fangs is, that means 40 million dollars. And uh, the Raiders, of course, did not want to pay that. So, of course, they released them. Now, you have a lot of people with their conspiracy theories, you know, they're putting their theory hats on and I wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory. I would actually call it a, a very, a very knowledgeable statement. You know, people were saying that Derek Carr didn't want to give the Raiders anything, right? Especially taken away from a team that he would actually come to. So I think that the Saints probably could have sent the Raiders a third round pick, but that could be a third round pick that the Saints could use to add to the team if Derek Carr were to sign. So, I'm not mad at that. And then on top of that, why would you want to take on another team's tab? That makes no sense also. Um, my biggest issue that I had on last show was how is it or why is it that the Saints really can't close the deal when it comes to some of these highly touted free agents? But I can understand why the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, didn't want to pull the trigger. And who knows? Who knows if those two days that the Saints and Derek Carr – then try to orchestrate some type of collusion, you know, and work together um, because there's no guarantee that just because he left and said that I ain't taking no trade deal doesn't mean that the New Orleans Saints can't acquire him. It could easily be the New Orleans Saints are going to get him, but they he didn't want them to lose anything in the process. So I think that that's pretty smart uh, if they spent those, those couple of days. Now, if you spent – the last couple of days, I'm talking two and a half days, talking to Derek Carr, wooing him, talking about the things that you want to do in order for your team to get better and you don't get them, then I'm going to kind of look at you funny. Because I, I don't want to believe that the New Orleans Saints didn't think of that scenario that everybody is talking about, you know, the whole not trading because you know that the Ra Raiders are going to cut them. You know, I don't want to believe that the Saints didn't think about that. I, I don't. I refuse to believe that. And I think that maybe that conversation actually came up behind closed doors. Now, 
Derek Carr is free to sign with whoever he wants to sign with. Uh, I'm going to go through some teams that have been linked to Derek Carr, and I'm going to tell you why. And this has absolutely nothing to do. I want to make this very, very clear. This has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Saints fan, and I'm just saying this is a bad idea because I want him to come to New Orleans. This has absolutely nothing to do with this. This is just straight logic, watching it, and just based on what I have known and learned from Derek Carr and what I have learned from football. Number one, uh, the Jets. The Jets were another team that kind of inquired about Derek Carr. I said it time and time again. Derek Carr's personality and the New York media would clash. And I think that the way that the New York media are bulldogs and they will not rest until they get the, the story and at the you know get to the bottom of every situation, I feel like if Derek Carr was to have a bad game, if Derek Carr was to you know overthrow a guy, if Derek Carr was to throw an interception, they would destroy him. Like it takes a special quarterback to be a New York franchise quarterback. Like I just don't think Derek Carr's personality and the chip that he wears on his shoulder it will not be a good combination between a New York media, the New York fans, and Derek Carr. It just wouldn't be. Like, if he goes out there and he plays two games and he just plays outstanding, they're going to make him the toast of the town. They're going to put him on the front of the New York Times. They're going to do all these things. And then all of a sudden, if he has a bad game, then the stories are going to come out. Why did the Jets signed Derek Carr was this a big mistake and I don't know if he can deal with that psychologically I, I just think that that market is not a good combination for a guy that has a chip on his shoulder and he and he's pretty transparent you know like he, he's pretty open about his feelings and his views you can actually see that so that's why I feel like New York wouldn't be a good spot Carolina to me and, you know, I know that they're the Saints rivals, you know, one of the rivals in the South, I should say, but that's a better spot. If you were to ask me what's the better spot, the Carolina Panthers or the New Orleans Saints, which spot would be better? I'm sorry, Saints fans, who that nation, the Carolina Panthers would be a better spot because I feel like the Carolina Panthers have on their side some coaches that will be able to develop Derek Carr and to build a system around him that will be successful right I, I have a lot of respect for frank Wright, the coaching staff that he's assembling together those guys have a a background at developing guys at the offensive uh, position the defensive guys you know that they're bringing over there is going to make the defense better so he won't have to worry about putting it all on his back that would be a good spot for him and then not to mention the the carolina fan base is something similar to the new orleans saints fan base not as much as like i feel like the love but I just feel like they're a little bit more patient to allow something to develop like a Saints fan would, right? If we know that we're, we're not looking to run a guy out of town, like, well, the majority of us, we're not looking to run a guy out of town just because, you know, he has a lackluster performance. But we are seeing for more, like more games, he's actually putting the team, you know, on his back or he's making a plays in order for them to win we'll kind of be like, okay, that's fine. You know, like maybe we'll give him a little bit more of an opportunity. 
some of those other bigger markets, not so much. Carolina, I feel like they would do the same thing. Um, if you want to go with the Indianapolis Colts, which I highly doubt. I mean, they just got their new head coach. I can't believe that guy's 37 years old. Like, seriously. I, I cannot believe that that guy's 37 years old. I looked at that press conference. I'm 36. That means that guy's a year older than me. My goodness. Uh, I, I mean... I just I, will, I can't think of this guy's name. Um, I can't pronounce his last name, but go and look at the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and you tell me if he looks 37 years old. I mean, it's whoo. But anyway, I expect for the Colts to draft a quarterback. I expect for them to draft a quarterback, and you know, I expect for him to develop because I think that's the main reason why they hired him. Because you know, he was the offensive coordinator with the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was very instrumental with the Jalen Hurst development, right? So I, I don't look at that as a spot for Derek Carr. To me, I feel like a market like the Saints, market like Carolina, a market like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers even, you know, even though I feel like the Saints are probably a little bit of a better spot than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but those are the three teams, you know, I feel like would, you know, be a good spot. Uh, if you're trying to go anywhere in New York, you're simply just trying to go there to me because they probably gave you the most money. And um, maybe you're trying to, you know, expand your profile a little bit because I, I guess, you know, nobody's really talking about Derek Carr throughout his career. Nobody really was talking about him. Nobody really put him in, in a top quarterback conversation. So going to a market like New York, you definitely have eyes on you and you definitely will be the topic of conversation because you play for a team in New York, but I don't think that would be a good fit. I think that that, that right there, that would be a career killer, especially if you don't take the Jets to the playoffs a little bit deeper than that, then people are probably going to turn their backs on you. I mean, that's just the, how the, the media works out there in those areas. But that's why I feel about it. I feel like he has a really good chance of getting the opportunity to be the quarterback of the Saints. And uh, But I don't feel like the New Orleans Saints need to break the bank to get him. I, I just don't. I, I just do not. Now, I'm not one of those people that feel like you can't win with Derek Carr. Like, to me, I, I look at when people, I look at when people are talking about, oh, you're not going to the Super Bowl with Derek Carr. Why not? My, that's my question. Why not? Why can't the New Orleans Saints go to the Super Bowl with Derek Carr? I have seen quarterbacks that don't have the same level of skill and ability. Or they're equal to the ability and skill of a Derek Carr. And they went to the Super Bowl. So I just don't understand that. Like, I think when people look at quarterbacks today, they look at quarterbacks like if you're not looking like Mahomes, if you're not looking like Rodgers, if you're not looking like Brady, if you're not looking like Josh Allen, then all of a sudden, like, there's no chance for your team to make the Super Bowl. But you don't have to possess, like, elite quarterback skills in order for you to represent your team in a Super Bowl. There's a lot of elements around guys. And if you have coaches that can, you know, elevate certain things around the quarterback, I think why not? Like, we already know the Saints have a good defense. We know that defense wins championships. We know in the playoffs your defenses have, have to perform at a high level at times because everybody kind of buckles down and your defense has to step up. So if you have a good defense, you have a good running game, and you have a quarterback 
that possesses a certain skill set to get the ball into the hands of the playmakers, why can't you go to the Super Bowl? Seriously, why, why can't you? And then on top of that, like people are just looking at the Saints like they're just completely hopeless, and they're not. First off, you play in a conference where you have teams that are trying to establish themselves, you know, in, in the conference. You have a bunch of young, inexperienced quarterbacks. Some teams don't even have the right guy in the building as I speak. But yet we're looking at the playoffs or even the Super Bowl as being unattainable for the New Orleans Saints. And my question is why? Unless like some of these elite quarterbacks that we're seeing in the AFC are going to come to the NFC, there are some guys in the NFC that needs to develop. Let's look at some of the guys in the, in the postseason that, re, that was in the NFC playoff picture, okay? Tom Brady is no longer here. Dak Prescott is a guy that can win you some games, but, I mean, as far as his development, as far as, like, some of the things that he does in big games, it's questionable. Kirk Cousins, you don't know what you're going to get with him. He might throw for 350 one week, uh, three touchdowns, no picks, and then the next week he'll throw one touchdown, three picks, right? And he'll make boneheaded decisions. So, and, and let's look at Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, great quarterback, of course, but, I mean, every time he makes it to the playoffs, he can't get over the hump, you know? And he seems like he's not very happy in the situation that he's in. So, who knows what that's going to end up being like. Uh, the 49ers, Trey Lance, young, inexperienced, still has some room to grow. Brock Purdy, going to be coming off a, a UCL injury, right? So, you have all these different things going on. No Jimmy G. So my question is, how can anybody sit up here and just say, oh, New Orleans Saints don't have a chance? Look at the NFC quarterback pitch. If we're talking about quarterbacks, if we're talking about guys to lead your franchise to, to prosperity, Super Bowls and playoff appearances, what quarterback in the NFC that you look at that you feel like the Saints just don't have a chance of beating? Like this, this, this dude is just a straight cheat code like a Joe Burrow or a, a Patrick Mahomes. None of those guys do. I feel like with good defense, good game planning, you can beat some of these top teams in the NFL. It wasn't like the teams that the Saints played in the NFC. When they played them, they just got smacked around or something. Like the 49ers only scored 13 points against the Saints, even though the Saints didn't score anything at all. But there were opportunities where the Saints should have scored, and they didn't. Drop passes, bad routes. I mean, the list goes on and on. It wasn't like the 49ers just went out there and just completely like destroyed the Saints in front of everybody. Then you have the Philadelphia Eagles. Probably would have been a different story if Jalen Hurts would have played, but I still feel like the defense would have stepped up enough in order to keep it competitive. You know, so it's not as if the New Orleans Saints are just a hopeless team. There's a lot of teams out here that got to figure out their quarterback situation, and they also have to figure out, do they have the right guy on their roster right now? So why can't the saints make it to the playoffs why can't the saints be able to make a deep run in the playoffs why can't they there like there's no team in the nfc right now that i just feel like the saints aren't capable of beating so everybody to me has some issues that they need to solve for the most part with the quarterback situation so i'm not i'm not in that that number that just feels like the New Orleans Saints just have no hope and Derek Carr can't lead the New Orleans Saints to victory. Now, people will talk about the overall all record, right? They'll talk about, well, I think I've seen somebody tweet, um, if I'm not mistaken, how can a guy like, you know, the Saints 
well, how can a guy like Derek Carr lead the Saints anywhere? And he put up his, his win-loss record. And, of course, he has more losses than wins. Well, I would say to that person the same way Matthew Stafford went to the Los Angeles Rams and helped them win a Super Bowl. And don't say, oh, man, it was Aaron Donald because I can remember Matthew Stafford throwing a pass in the divisional round of the playoffs uh, uh, to Cooper Cup in a clutch situation late in the game. I can remember those. I can remember a couple throws he threw in the Super Bowl. That pass that he threw to Cooper Cup, that Cooper Cup posterized Eli Apple to everybody's enjoyment. So he has a he has a a bad win loss record, but yet he found himself in the Super Bowl and he found himself making plays. So if you're going to tell me that Derek Carr isn't capable, these are the same people that told me that Matthew Stafford wasn't capable. But Matthew Stafford is a Super Bowl champion, so why can't Derek Carr do that? That's that's just my question. Why can't Derek Carr lead the New Orleans Saints to the playoffs? Why can't Derek Carr lead the Saints to the Super Bowl? I mean, there, there are different elements that have to go into it, but I think that you can win and go deep and 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 be successful with a guy like Derek Carr. I just think that when people look at the quarterback position, they just think that the quarterback has to like lead the team and 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 win, you know, despite anything around them. And that's and you know, that's that's because we have been prisoners of what we've seen for 15 years with Drew Brees. You put any Tom, Dick, and Joe Morgan out there, and then all of a sudden, like, the Saints still out there being one of the hot, hottest offensive teams in the league. They still in the game. He, he you know, Drew Brees facilitating the ball to eight, nine different guys. And then all of a sudden, like, now we just feel like if we don't have anything that looks like that or resembles that, then it's not going to get us where we need to be. But that's just not true, man. If you put the right team around a guy – you get a good defense, you get a good running game, and you get a quarterback that kind of knows what he's doing. You can make a run in the playoffs. And who knows? When you, you know, teams get hot all the time. So I, I'm not in that number that just feels like you just can't win with this guy. Right? But it takes a lot of things around them in order for the, for that quarterback to reach that full potential. You can't just rely on him all the time. I I, I just think that if you put a team around him, you should be okay. Let me read some of your comments. I'll start with uh, Bruno. Bruno says, I truly hope uh, he does go to a team in the NFC. I'm pretty sure that's probably what's going to happen. Rather, it's the Saints or someone else, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be an NFC team. Because, And why wouldn't you want to go to an NFC team, to be honest with you? You know, you played in a division where you had two of the best and brightest young quarterbacks in the entire NFL, and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. And now, you know, you got Sean Payton out there in Denver. Who knows? You know, he'd probably be able to help, um, you know, Russell Wilson do his thing. And if not, then I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure he'll have somebody out there that's going to be able to make some plays. May not be better than Herbert or, or Mahomes, but, and then you have those other guys in the AFC, right? You got Joe Burrow. Uh, you got uh, Josh Allen. I mean, you got all these, this, this, these talented quarterbacks in the league right now, Lamar Jackson. So, might as well go to the NFC where it's not so top heavy. And because of your play, you can actually be in that number. You can actually be around those guys who, uh, you know, you know, that, that not aren't as good and it make you shine through, you know? So that's what I would do. The San Francisco 49ers gave mad compliments to the saints after playing them in San Francisco this past year by saying that's a championship defense. 
look, I, I do think they're a championship defense. Now, what you did in 2022 doesn't matter in 2023. You got to replicate it or, uh, you know, up the ante a little bit. But based on what we have seen under Dennis Allen, whether you like him or not as a head coach, I mean, the defense is good. So if they can continue to replicate what they've done over the last few years, then I think you can be successful. Uh, the next quarterback that people have been talking about, you know, is Baker Mayfield. Uh, Baker Mayfield, of course, played for the Carolina Panthers last season, ended up, uh, you know, getting released. He ended up signing with the Los Angeles Rams, played on a Thursday night, facilitated a comeback victory. Um, and there's a lot of questions around Baker Mayfield. You know, is Baker Mayfield a starting quarterback? Is Baker Mayfield uh, built of the right stuff to lead a team? And all this kind of stuff there. Now, there are some narratives about bringing in Baker Mayfield if you're not sure about Derek Carr leading you anywhere. Um, I, the way I feel about Baker Mayfield, I, I, to me, um, I feel like it, Baker Mayfield is a combination of two things. He's a is a combination of media, and what I mean by that is, if the media want to make you the best thing to slice souls bread, they can. If they want to make you the biggest villain, they can. Because here's the reality: you have average quarterbacks who slide through the cracks, and nobody says anything about. Them. Nobody questions their play to a certain extent. Nobody says anything about them. They just let them just do whatever. Even even with Kirk Cousins, right? Kirk Cousins is about as average and mediocre as it gets. I'm talking about as far as you're looking at his record and the way that he plays at times. Now, people will crack jokes, but there's more about Kirk Cousins being a team guy than him being an average quarterback. Like, you don't really see them going above and beyond trying to convince everybody that Kirk Cousins is an average quarterback. Like, when he plays, you know, they'll make a joke about him playing on prime time or something. But it's not so much of a hit job. Like, I, I watch shows, and it's, it's a constant assault, verbal and written assault on Baker Mayfield. Like, Baker Mayfield is on three, four segments on talking head shows. And when you have that type of attention on you, and when people have, like, a certain agenda, of course it's going to make you look a certain way. So I think a lot of, like... I think if he wasn't as polarizing as he was, I don't think people would like be killing him the way that they're doing right now. I just think that it has a lot to do with the fact that he's so polarizing. He was polarizing in college, right? You know, the whole, you know, planting the Oklahoma flag at Ohio State. Like, we, we know all these different things, man. Like, so I think that because he's such a polarizing figure, it makes him more attractive to write about. And you know, you, you got people out here that can really assassinate your character and make people really feel like you can't play football or you're really not that good. Like we see that with Jameis Winston. Like there's a there's a <laughs> there's a narrative about Jameis Winston that people continue to uphold. And, you know, now it's like when you talk about Jameis Winston, oh, he's not good enough. Well, like how how you know, it's as if he doesn't have any good qualities at all. But when it comes to Baker Mayfield, I think that Baker Mayfield, to me, he needs to be in a position where you have a coach that can actually kind of reel him in. Like, to me, if he was in Carolina, this just me, 
if he was in Carolina right now with Frank Wright, I feel like you'll see a better version of Baker Mayfield. I think that if he continues to, if he was to resign with the Rams and I don't know, serve as a backup for Matthew Stafford, I think that you might see a better version of him because it takes coaches to do their due diligence to, to pull out, you know, to, to amplify the positive things and minimize the, the negative things. So I do think that certain situations matter. Do I think that Baker Mayfield will ever be a top 10 quarterback or top five? Absolutely not. But I do feel like you will see a better, I think you'll see a better Baker Mayfield if he was in a, you know, a better coaching situation um, for you know, a, a certain amount of time. And, you know, that just goes, you know, and I asked a question on Twitter. You know, why why do we just completely, like, just throw away these quarterbacks? Like, when, when we look at these quarterbacks who've had several coordinators, who's had several head coaches, who've had, you know, several situations that they had to overcome, why is it that we never seem to look at the organization not putting the guy in the best position to succeed, but we just look at the actual player? Like, we, we just expect players just to be good no matter what the situation is. We expect for players to throw for 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, five picks, you know, no matter who's the coordinator, no matter who's the head coach, right? You're good if you're good. But that's just not how it works. That just do, that It just does not work like that, right? We've seen, like, great quarterbacks throw a whole bunch of interceptions, right? We've we seen this before. But I also feel like some guys – you know, they can overcome their situation. They might be able to put some good things on, on, on film. But I think that if you want, like, consistency, if you want to see a guy consistently play at a high level, they have to have a relationship between the coordinator, the head coach. Like, it, it got to be some level of stability. I don't feel like a guy can just, can like, ball out every single year and you just, real like, bringing in coordinators left and right. You know, I, I just don't feel that way. Now, you'll have, like, certain levels of success. Like, you'll see guys, you know, if they bring in a coordinator, they might have a good little chemistry thing going. Like, we've seen this with Matt Ryan, right? Matt Ryan won MVP. The Falcons went to the Super Bowl, you know, and, and he, it was under Kyle Shanahan. And he had his best season statistically, his best season as a pro. But then all of a sudden, you bring in Dirk Cutter and, you're bringing in all these other offensive coordinators and it just does not work, right? And you can see a drop-off. I do feel like you, you know, guys are going to rise to the occasion. Like if you have like a certain skill set, of course, you know, you, you'll have some good qualities if you align a person with a decent coordinator. But what happens when that guy leaves? I keep telling people, evaluate, like looking and studying an offensive playbook, imagine like I said, you learn in the yellow pages, right? You got a, a playbook the size of the yellow pages and you learn in it, right? And you learn in all the names of, you know, you're, look, you're learning all the names of a Baltimore yellow pages, right? And then all of a sudden, like when you get to the middle and you memorize this stuff, then all of a sudden somebody takes the Baltimore yellow pages from you and presents the Indianapolis yellow pages in front of you. Like now you got to learn all the names and, and locations of, of that. So it's hard. It's hard for a guy to play at a high level if you're constantly, you know, making changes, you know, when a guy starts to feel settled in. So I think that a lot of these guys become victims of that. 
And as fans, you know, I mean, well, as media people, they got a job to do. You know, they're trying to keep you entertained. So they got to find something. Then, of course, by them continuing to beat this into your head, it becomes a part of a narrative. But for me, I just feel like it is, it's certain situations. It's, it's, it's relationships. It's chemistry. I think I don't think it's a coincidence that Geno Smith had his best season to statistically, probably because he aligned himself with a really good coordinator that can actually that took the time and to pull out his strengths and you know and minimize his weaknesses. And they used his strengths in order to help, uh, allow him to be comeback player of the year. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just wonder, like, is it is it player or is it coach? Like should a player like should a player be able to rise above every situation no matter who the coordinator is i just never seen it done like i never like i've never seen a player that just consistently have success that just consistently like wins games and no matter who you bring in there i just never seen that before it always like the legendary quarterbacks have always had the same coordinators and the same guys in their ear for the most part. And that's how they become legendary. That's how, you know, we always incorporate Bill Walsh with Joe Montana, or we incorporate, you know, Drew Brees with Sean Payton, or we uh, align, you know, like Tom Brady with uh, Bill Belichick. You know, like it's, it's one of those situations. So I don't know. You know, I, I guess you can throw Brady in there, maybe. Maybe Brady. You know, like he he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and no matter who the coordinator was, you know, but he had the same coordinator in Byron Leftwich. So I don't know. I'm I'm just wondering. You know, like if you're great, you're great no matter what, I guess. But I, I'm I'm just wondering, like, how can a player be able to have success if they're constantly bringing in new coordinators? And how can we just sit up here and just say a guy just, you know, pathetic, you know? So I'm, I'm just wondering. Uh, Baker wasn't good on the Rams last year. He was bad. He had one good drive. Uh, you have to keep in mind, though, he just got there. Like, he the, – the crazy thing about it is he got signed by the Rams on a Tuesday, and they had a Thursday night game. So he, he went two days. Like, he went out there and he played a game – two days after he got signed by the Rams. You see what I'm saying? Like, see, see, the thing about it is we didn't look at that, right? We didn't look at the fact that he just got there two days ago. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, now the narrative is, oh, he played bad in that game. All he had was one, one bad drive. But he just got there. But, no, like – you see what I'm saying? I hope everybody understands what I'm saying. It's like you give this person, you know, this narrative, but we're not like telling the whole entire story. The only, but the only thing that we take away from it is he's not good enough. All right. So it's like a person that, that shows up late. Okay. A person shows up late. They had a, a 10 car pileup. Knock on wood, hoping that that doesn't happen. But they had a 10-car pileup, and then all of a sudden, like, person just rolls up. And it's their first time, you know, they, they late. Like, the only thing you're looking at the fact that they late, you're not looking at the fact that these people had to evade and get away from a 10-car pileup. So this guy was – this guy joined the team on Tuesday and was starting at quarterback on a Thursday. 
Uh, that Jameis uh, decision will come back to bite DA. I, I don't know if it will come back and bite him, but I don't know. I think they could have handled that better. Somebody said, hell no to Baker. Hell to the nod with Baker. Um, let's see. Don't want Carolina scrap quarterbacks. One last song uh, for the Winston gang in the chat. We share your pain. We're here for you. <laughs> Dalton better than Baker. Ain't no virgin, ain't no better version of Baker. He should have been a third round pick. Why do you feel that way though? Like seriously, why why do you feel that way? I'm I'm just wondering. Like, what got you to this point? This dude was a like, think about this. This dude was a Heisman Trophy winner. He was the first pick overall. The Cleveland Browns went 0 16, and they didn't win a game until Thursday night. On a Thursday night, Baker Mayfield gave them their first victory in 23 tries, and he was the starting quarterback of a team that gave, and he he won a playoff game for the Cleveland Browns for the first time in their teams, what, in about 30 years? So how, how I'm just wondering, like, how can we say that this dude isn't good? Like, he, if he started his career doing all these things, how is it that we go from that? And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was offensive rookie of the year. How do you go from that to just saying that the dude is just hopeless? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, how do we get to this point? Like, how, how did we, how do we get here? Like, we, we ain't looking like, the, we ain't looking at how the Cleveland Browns are a joke of a franchise. No disrespect to any Cleveland. Cleveland Brown fan out there, but let's just call the spade a spade. They they use the head coaching position like a revolving door. There's really no patience there. But we're supposed to take the word of a team that basically just throws away a guy after a couple of years, after he gave you the most prosperity that you've had in 30 years. He was the quarterback. Then all of a sudden we go from that to, I don't know, trading him to the Carolina Panthers. And by trading him, like, and we also have to understand, if the organizations, if they want to make you look like the villain, if they want to make you look like you just absolute hot, slaw, and trash, I'm telling you right now, they can't. Because the media, once again, these guys want access. They're not going to take off the Cleveland Browns organization if they can get all this insider information. So, of course, they're going to roll with the team if the team is saying, oh, well, he did this, he did that, he said this, he said that. And then all of a sudden, like, it's out there in the atmosphere, and now we're at Twitter War talking with one another, talking about how, not, how this dude isn't that good. I'm just wondering. Like I said, I, I don't know. Like, he may, you know, end up not being nothing. But all I'm saying is, how do you go from offensive rookie of the year helping the Cleveland Browns win their first game in 20? Uh, what, they went on like Owen went Owen like 23 or something like that because they was losing games going into the season when it was, uh, you know, after the season they went on 16. He gave them their first game. He was quarter, he quarterbacked the team to victory. And don't say he didn't do anything because they was beating the Pittsburgh Steelers to sleep in that game. 
They gave them the first victory that they had in 30 years in the playoffs. How do we go from that to this dude ain't good enough? That he just absolute trash. Hex to the nah, this, that, and the third. Like, I'm just wondering. All, all I'm just saying is, how do we get to this point? How do you say he's trash? I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering. Like, who gave you this information? Like, did you come to this conclusion yourself? Or, like, it's, it's impossible. Like, I'm telling you, it is impossible for anybody to, like, something constantly getting beat into your head that it don't become a part of your narrative. That man, I'm, I'll give you an example. In 2000 and in 2007, my senior, well, going to, like it was my senior year, my senior year at Jackson State University, a very popular song came out, which is iconic today. But during the time when it first came out, I was like, what the heck is this? It was Lil Wayne's Lollipop. Y'all know everybody remember that song, right? like when it first came out first off it was different and i'm like what the heck is going on here like but all of a sudden the song was on the radio every day the song was being you know plugged every other hour every time you turn on the radio hit a song again and again and again and again then all of a sudden you find yourself listening like then the beat come on boop, 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 boop. And you know what i'm saying now, now they got you you got your hook now you're wondering to yourself, like, why do I even like this song? Is the fact that it's a song I found out that the song was good, or the fact that they beating this song into my head constantly? So I'm just wondering, like, everybody just quick to dismiss and say the dude is trash. How do we get to this point? This is the state of the Saints podcast. You're not about to tell me that you watch more Cleveland Brown games than the New Orleans Saints. You're not about to tell me that you watch more Carolina Panthers fans uh, games than you watch Saints games. So I'm just saying, over the totality of this guy's career, how many games have you watched for you to come to this conclusion? Or did you tune in to Undisputed? Did you tune in to First Take? Or did you tune in to Twitter? And then you just see everybody just saying these things. All I'm saying is, I don't know this dude like that. I don't know what he's capable of. All I know is, you don't become the first pick overall, and you just absolute trash. Without some things coming into, you know, fruition. Like, how is it that we can label this dude trash, but we can't label the Cleveland Browns organization that trash and being responsible for the minimal growth that they have instilled inside this guy in the NFL? Like, seriously, like, I, I don't understand it. Like, I don't get it. How is it that we come to these conclusions? Like, do we come to these conclusions on our own? So that, that's all I'm saying at the end of the day. And you know what? You know, I, at the at this particular point, I don't care what you all think about that. Like seriously, like for those that are saying Baker trash, because half of you, I'm telling you, half of you, if I was to go, I'm not saying everybody, but half of you, if I was to, you know, start talking to you about Baker Mayfield, right in your face, right? You'll give me a great response now because you got Google at your access, you got research at your access, so you can easily like just click off me and come back with a response. But how many of you, if I was in your face right now, you would just sit up here and have Baker Mayfield stuff just to justify that? Besides, it, it don't involve me and the Carolina Panthers. Well, when we played the, when we played them, like how many other games did he play? So, if you're gonna come at me and say that you know I'm I'm caping, like I see some people in the chat say I'm caping, you can't say 
that I'm caping if you can't come through with some actual research off the riff? Because some of you like just like how some things sound. They don't really have. And yeah, look, if I'm not talking about you, I ain't talking about you. You have no absolutely no mind of your own, like without involving like national media stuff. Because some of you really think you're slick. But a lot of the things that I see in the chat when people be going at me, rather it's after the show or on Twitter, it's stuff that I've seen other people say it, verbatim. So when people wonder why I don't say anything like this or why I don't respond to it, because I know where it came from. So if you're talking like that, then, of course, I'm not going to respond to you. And if you come with me with some Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, uh, you know, Shannon Sharp type narrative, like I'm, I'm definitely ain't listening because I watch the same stuff y'all watch. But unlike some people, I just choose not to put that and add that to my narrative. I'd rather do my research. I'd rather do my research. And also, I'd rather not just label somebody just based on one bad game, one bad experience or a situation, which I know the Cleveland Browns are a train wreck. Absolute train wreck. So, because the same people would have probably told you to this day that Geno Smith didn't have what it takes for him to be or do what he did this season. So, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Let me read some of your comments. Uh, because he has uh, duplicated the, that success or duplicated that success uh, from five years ago. But why is that? Why is it? Uh, yet, and better yet, here's another question. What Cleveland Browns quarterback has had success post Baker Mayfield? I'll wait. Did Jacoby Brissett just all of a sudden like, oh man? Oh, better yet, let's 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 holler at your boy. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Has he had success? So how is it that we can just sit up here and just yes yeah, him? Since Baker Mayfield has left, the Cleveland Browns have had a losing record, and most you know the majority of the starting quarterbacks have been the bottom of the barrel when it comes to quarterback rating. So how is it that we can look at these other guys and still just sit up here and just say this dude ain't no good? I'm just saying, like, did Deshaun Watson, like, is Deshaun Watson a bad quarterback? Or better yet, ask yourself this question. Why is he playing like a bad quarterback? You see what I'm saying? Like, every, like every quarterback, like, think about this. We talk about, well, look what he did in Carolina. Name a quarterback in Carolina right now that played well, like outstanding. Since Cam Newton was the quarterback, I'll wait. Did Teddy Bridgewater play well? Nope. Did uh, what's the other dude name that played? Uh, Will Grill? Did he play? Did he play great? Nope. All I'm saying is, man, come on, bro. Like, let let's just be real about this, man. Let's not let's stop pretending like court like quarterbacks get thrust into situations and the, the organization does not develop these guys the right way. They're not doing their due diligence and these guys suffer because of it. Like we just think all of a sudden, like dudes rise above their situation. Some of these dudes that have this great ability and this great talent, they fall into great situations that benefit them. 
Look at Brian Dayball in New York. He goes and coaches the Giants. Josh Allen has a downtick of his test statistically. The year before when Brian Dayball was his offensive, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, the, the guy that was whispering in his ear, he had his best number statistically. All I'm saying is like where you surround your where you surround your players and what you surround them with it is important and imperative to their success. Because I don't care how good like you'll win some games, but if you never develop, if you never grow, if you if you don't have the right coaches that's looking at this all 22 and being able to pull out some of the things that are your strengths, and when they they look in and exit and and, and evaluating your weaknesses and putting the packages of your strengths together in order for you to elevate your game, then you're going to fail. If you ever played any sport ever, if you look, I'm going to tell you like this. If you played basketball for all my people out there, they played basketball. If you started basketball because the coach liked you because you can shoot threes and he found you in ninth grade, by 12th grade, if you still shooting threes and nothing else changed, that is not the right coach for you. Seriously. I don't care if you're draining them like Curry. If you, if you can't drive to the lane, if your footwork is not good, if your defense don't improve, that is not the right coach for you. It goes beyond, folks, just throwing the ball 60 yards down the field. It's about coming up with a game plan that benefits that guys. And there's so many guys that suffer – and don't improve their game because coaches are not helping them to get to that particular point. I mean, we watched, okay, we watched the herd with, uh, you know, Sean Payton was on there and it was like, how can you fix Russell Wilson? He said, I would take all, get all Russell Wilson's greatest hits, right? All of the things that he did well, all of the things that, you know, was successful going forward, right? And I will make a whole reel of it, and I'll build my offense around it. So how many people are you saying or knowing that's probably doing it like that? A lot of these guys suffer, man, because they don't have the right team around them. But, of course, we don't look at organizations. We, we, we don't look at organizations until they don't sign a person that we don't like or they don't draft a person that we don't draft. We don't look at organizations like that. We, we ain't looking at, like, this, this for the first time, people are looking at organizations from a, you know what I'm saying, from a, a developmental standpoint. Every, like, since I've been doing this show, the most for the most part, people have been coming at the Saints organization is because they didn't draft LSU players, they draft too many Ohio State players, and, you know, little stuff like that. But why don't we look at the, the organizations and realize that maybe they don't have the right guys? And when a dude goes to another team, maybe that team has a good plan in place. But we're not going to do that. See, we like to, there's an old saying, we like to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, like we like if a guy goes here to the worst team, think about this. You're a first pick overall. So that means that you went to the worst team that year. You know, that that was that was the year before you, you got drafted. They were the worst team in the league. And if this guy in four years isn't what he paying out to be all of a sudden, he ain't good enough. 
But what about the organization? Are they not good enough? We don't ask that question. We just look at the player and say he sucks, he stinks. And this, like, and I want people to understand this. This isn't me lobbying for Baker Mayfield to come to the Saints. This isn't me lobbying about Jameis Winston. All I'm saying is, why don't we ask these questions? Why, why don't we try to get these questions answered? There's a lot of guys who fell through the cracks because they didn't go to the right situation. So, sorry. It's amazing how some of y'all can call a dude garbage when most of y'all have no idea how good you have to be to even be considered for the NFL or NBA. Look, some dudes, some dudes can't play. Like, first off, I take that back. Guys can play, but there's a difference. You have to be wired a certain way, right? You got to have a certain level of dedication. You, you got to be able to push yourself to limits that, that don't seem like they can be reach, reachable in order for you to be successful in the National Football League. All these dudes can play. There's a difference. They're, like, they're, they're cold-blooded killers, right? The, the only thing, only objective they have on Sunday, if they're a linebacker, is to get you down to the ground and impose their will on you. And then there's some guys out there, they running out there, they want to play, but the nerves get to get the best of them. Or, you know, they thinking too much because they so nervous. There's a different, like, there's so many elements that go into this, right? You know, but that's that's the difference between good and great. Great players rise to the occasion, you know? Like, they, they do the things that are necessary to win, and they do it consistently over and over again. And then you have these other guys out here, you know, they spending most of their time trying to shake off the nerves, you know, and they might miss a pass or they might run the wrong route. Or, you know, some some of them aren't as disciplined or as, as knowledgeable than other guys. But for the most part, all these dudes can play. But, you know, there's a difference between, you know, there's a difference between good and great. There's a difference between good and average. And, you know, they got some guys out here that's going that's going forever be average. Tyrone, thank you very much for $5. Uh, TJ, did you hear about uh, Justin traded? Uh, I just got here. Uh, Justin who? Who we talking about? Who, who we talking about here? Who got traded? Justin Fields? Nah, I didn't hear about that. Nah, but I mean, I've been on for about 52 minutes now, so I didn't hear anything. You know, like I said, I don't, man, I'm, look, let's see, I per- personally don't think we have the coaches to bring the best out of him. Look, I, look I'm telling you, I, I agree. I agree with you, Brandon. I Look, all I'm saying is, that, like, some people will look at this as I'm caping for Baker Mayfield. I'm not. All I'm saying is, it just brings a very interesting question, right? I, I'm sorry, I can't just go up here and just say, Man, the dude is trash. Like, get him out my face. Like, I, I wish I could be that clean cut with y'all, but I'm just saying, like, an alternative universe. Like, if this dude like went to a a, a team that was v- very well structured, if they had a coach that was known for developing players, if if he went to a, a team that you know that that had a you know defense around him, running game around him, which they did, like Cleveland did, my like they had good running game, like you know Chubb and and Hunt. 
Now you you had some dog and some defensive players. I mean, look, don't get much better than Miles Garrett. But all I'm saying is, I look at the quarterbacks around. Like if, for example, if Jacoby Brissett would have played better, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to say Deshaun Watson, even though Deshaun Watson been playing like slow. I, I don't expect and anticipate that being, you know, I don't expect that to be a thing. It's rather he going they gonna get it together. Kevin Stefanski, he gone. But all I'm saying is, I look at Deshaun Watson is up here. I look at Jacoby Brissett and Baker Mayfield about right here. So my question is, why is it that Jacoby Brissett didn't play any better than Baker Mayfield? That's all I'm saying. Like all these quarterbacks suffered, you know. So all I, I, that's, that's my that's my whole point. Like I said, it has nothing to do with caping. It has everything to do with quarterback development. And why, you know, why are we just quick to have this open and shut case about guys being trash, even though it just didn't pan out in one place? So, you know what we mean by calling him garbage? He looks like he doesn't belong, bro. I understand what you're saying, lady. Don't like he don't belong. But I, my question is, why is it? Why is that? Like I'm just wondering, like why is that? Like is it the game plan? Like is it? I give example. I give example. Tyron Matthew, first couple weeks with the New Orleans Saints, the way that they had them, that boy play, they had him playing like a box safety. You got a five nine, one hundred and eighty five pound safety out there. You got him playing a box safety. And people are like, man, he got ran over, man. Look at little for me. He ran him over. Like, are you shocked? Are you shocked that a five foot nine, 185 pound safety gets ran over by a six foot one, 240 pound running back? So all of a sudden, you start seeing more of Tyre Matthew playing, you know, a little bit further back. You know what I'm saying? More traditional safety role. And he played better. What's, what was the difference? Now, did, Ty, did Tyron Matthew just fall off the face of the earth and just, you know, just forget how to play the safety position? Or did the New Orleans Saints say, hey, look, you know, this ain't working the way that we're asking him to do things, so we want to put him back to in his comfortable element. And he started making plays. So all I'm saying is, are they pushing? Like, think about this. When you are a franchise quarterback, it is imperative. It's imperative that you succeed as that quarterback. So those coaches are going to, man, what do you like? I like this, 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 and this. If you're not, you just a backup. Look, we're running a game plan that is structured the way that we structure our game plan. Bump what you're talking about. Bump what you like. Go, you know, like throw it to this dude, throw it to this dude. Like, are they focusing in on your strengths? Or are they asking you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable and puts you out of your element? Is is what I'm saying. Because if you're a franchise quarterback, they're not going to give you. I mean, they are going to give you a choice. If you just any time Dick and Luke McCown off the street, you, you need to run this offense like Drew would run this offense. So I'm just like, I'm just trying, man. I'm just trying to let people know how this thing works. So a lot of times when we be seeing dudes and they be run, like running a certain offense, be like, man, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, like you, it has a lot to do with the, some of the things that 
the coaching staff have instilled uh, inside of the offense, and maybe it's not a good fit for these guys. You know, they might have a couple plays that that are like catered for a guy, but for the most part, let's see, uh, Charles. Uh, but here's my thing: uh, Do we keep the same energy when a guy does a different uh, goes to a different situation and produces uh, better because of personnel and scheme? Geno Smith is a perfect example. Uh, Chicago haven't traded Fields to a team yet. I don't see why they would, but that's just my opinion. Like, for example, Derek Carr, would he be successful in a P. Carmichael offense? Yeah. I think, look, I think he'll be better than what he was in a, in a Josh McDaniel offense. I can tell you that. I, I can tell you that right now. So I think he, I think he'll be better. Like, I, I think that Josh McDaniels is – I think he is a guy that benefited his entire career. Like, seriously, I think he just benefited his entire career. Um, I I, th- I don't think that – look, I feel like if it was Josh McDaniel, Ed McDaniel, you know, like, I, I, like, I don't care who it is, right? I, I just think that Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady, you know, just you know, say just just give him like something that's that's stable, right? I think that he would do it regardless, you know, because he was at that stage of his career where the game kind of slowed down for him, and um, he was he was legendary goat status at that time. So anybody that you anybody that you bring in during that time, you know, with Tom Brady, like I, Tom, like I don't think this is for everybody. I just think that Tom Brady is an outlier. Like there's some guys that are just outliers. Some some guys can't do this, you know. Like he may be the only person I mentioned that earlier. He may be the only person I ever seen that's just be able to rise above the situation and play at a higher level, no matter in who in that thing. I, I just never seen it. I just never seen it outside of him. He like the only person I can think of that you didn't see like no no change in his play, you know, when he switched from New England to Tampa. Now you can talk about, you know, him getting a little bit older, not wanting to get hit, but who does? But I I don't know, man. I don't know. Until somebody gets traded, I ain't believing nothing. And Geno Smith's defense, he came from the Jets who gave up on quarterbacks every year. Uh they wouldn't know a decent quarterback if one walked up and slapped them in the mouth. That's what I'm saying, man. Sometimes these guys go to bad situations. Uh, and and because they go to bad situations, they don't grow. And media smells blood in the water. Now here come the hit pieces. You know, I don't want to call them hit pieces, but I mean, I won't call them hit pieces because they're not. But if they play bad, they're going to write about it. And they're going to constantly write about it, especially if they start getting hits. Look, the name of the game is hits, folks. The name of the game is hits. All right. That's why some of the, you know, that's why some of these topics get talked about over and over again. It's for ratings purposes. That's the reason why some of these guys write the same things about the same folk because they're getting hits, right? A lot of these guys are freelancers. You get revenue based on how many people read your articles. So if you're a freelancer, you know, you're going to make the the articles appealing and you're going to write them about individuals that are considered polarizing. I'm just giving y'all the game here, folks. I'm not trying to tick nobody off. I'm just telling y'all how it works. So if you can continue to write about somebody that everybody has an interest in and you can be the contrarian, you can be the bad guy wrestler, right? When you walk in a room, everybody, ooh, you know, like, like, but at the same time, people say people are paying 
to boo you. So there it is. The point is you have to argue your point with context on every player, not just the player you advocate for. Yeah, that is the truth. Uh, Keen Arthur, most people aren't prepared to argue points because their their opinions hold no merit. Uh, they go by what they hear someone else say. That I mean, that's that's a very dangerous thing. And also, because people do that, I feel like that is the main reason why you have to be responsible in your dialogue. Like, I tell people all the time, and I'm going to continue to say, it, what I'm saying right now has no, like, it, it's, it's, it doesn't trump anybody else's opinion. I'm just a guy with a show. I got a microphone. And of course, you know, I'm going to sound louder than everybody else because I'm the only person here. Like, we got people that's commenting, but I'm behind the microphone, right? So, that you know, that don't give it, you know, like, any type of more truth, um, give it gospel. You know, like, people have their opinions and views about things. But I also feel this way. I've been doing this show for six years. I've been doing broadcasting for going on my 11th year total, right, between podcasting and broadcasting. This is my sixth year, is it crazy as it sounds, my sixth year as an on-air personality at WLGI. This is my sixth year uh, going into the State of Saints podcast. I pride myself on responsibility. Like, I'm not going to just say something because I know that it's going to attract, you know, people. You know, I'm not going to just say something when I know most of the time people are listening to what I'm saying and they they go to me for information. I'm just not going to do it. So. I just think that when you play that game, right? You got most barbershops that you go to, most uh, salons. Well, I don't say salons. Could be depends on what salon you go to. They have these debate shows on TV. They have the split screen, or these guys sitting across from each other, and for ten minutes, for fifteen minutes, they're trying to convince you to choose a side, right? And what side you choose is based on the narrative that you want to gain you know you want to gather right and when you take that information you're bringing it to other people so when they say stuff like you know baker mayfield is not fixable you may believe that but all of this stuff is like all, all this stuff is subjective like honestly it is it, all all this even what i'm saying right now so i just think there's a responsibility about that when people say stuff like, I'm right, I know I'm right, I know, you know, like, you can feel that way to you, and I can say that sometimes. That may be to me, but that don't mean it for everybody else. So I do feel like there's a the responsibility that media people need to have because they know the influence and the power that they possess, and they know what their words can mean. You know, that their, their, their words carries weight. So I just think that you need, like, if you're doing stuff for nefarious reasons, like, you may just not like a guy. Because there are cases, folks. There are cases where media personalities don't like guys. They have, may have a bad experience with them. They may, you know, a guy might, they might have asked a guy for an interview and a guy probably brushed them off, you know. And now all of a sudden, you know, they they mad and they got vengeance in their heart and they know that they develop a following. So they're going to make you feel a certain way about the guy. And if you roll with that person, you're going to believe what they're saying. But you got to have a certain level of responsibility. That's that's the way I feel. Jacksonville ran uh, Myers out of town, hired Peterson, uh, won their division, and won a playoff game in, in his first season. My question is, do the Saints have an in them? Coaching matters, especially 
with a below average quarterback. Yes, it does. It, it does. Do I look? Do I think the Saints can make the playoffs with Dennis Allen as their head coach? It depends. I feel like this. The difference between <laughs> Doug Peterson and Dennis Allen is simple. I just feel like, you know, Doug Peterson is a better coach. If Doug Peterson was the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, to me, the Saints would have made the playoffs. With Andy Dalton or with Jameis Winston, either, either or. Like, either or, I feel like they, he would have made playoffs. Because I feel like he would have done the things need to be done in order for them to make the playoffs. I think that Doug Peterson sees things that Dennis Allen just doesn't see. Dennis Allen needs strength around him. Now, Doug Peterson needs strength around him. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. That's that's somebody that I didn't mention. He definitely elevated his game this past season with Doug Peterson. But Doug Peterson probably can do more with less versus Dennis Allen. He has to have more to to do more. Like, you got to have all hands on deck. Now, if the Saints... If the Saints didn't lose Michael Thomas, didn't lose Jarvis Landry, was playing, you know, like, you know, pick offensive linemen, you know what I'm saying, missing, matching them every single week because everybody hurt. I feel like if they had all hands on deck, then the Saints probably would have made the playoffs. Uh, I just think that Dennis Allen needs a strong core around him. Like, he, like I don't. I don't think that's what like Doug Peterson to me is a vela, better developer. Like he can develop guys. He he knows how to go out there and get coaches that can develop guys. Dennis Allen to me, Dennis Allen, Dennis Allen is like a he's like Tyrone Lou. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like Tyrone Lou, right? Or you know, like some of these other coaches out here. Yeah, they they all right. You know what I'm saying? But you gotta. You got to put LeBron up in that thing. You got to have uh, Anthony Davis. Like, you, you got to have, like, a strong team there, right? And then you have other guys out there, like, who I feel is a really good coach, Eric Spoelstra. You got a guy, you know, you give me Jimmy Butler, you know, like, superstar, kind of on the cusp. You know, Chris Hero, you know, like, yeah, we'll put him up. You know, like, Tyler Hero. I said Chris Hero. Chris Hero, a wrestler. Tyler Hero, you know, like, yeah, we'll put him out there and we'll make it interesting. We'll make the playoffs. We'll even – may even have the best record in the league. I think there's a difference, man. There's levels to this. So I do feel like you can make the playoffs with him, but with Dennis Allen, but you need all hands on deck. Like, you can't be lacking, right? You you need a quarterback that's going to make them plays. You need a wide receiver that's going to be able to catch everything. You need a running back that's going to be able to go for a 1,000, hit his head on the goalpost. You need an offensive line that's smaller, similar to what Philadelphia is, the Great Wall of Dallas out there with the Cowboys, you know, like like on some Barry Switzer stuff, you know, like that. that's what I feel, you know. But he's a really good coordinator, so you're going to have a bomb defense. But I do think that you need pieces around Dennis Allen for him to succeed. TJ, do you think uh, Todd um, Monken uh, is a good fit for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens? I would say so, man. My my biggest concern is Greg Roman leaving. I think that Greg Roman was extremely instrumental to the success of Lamar Jackson, and um, I'm just I'm just wondering. Like, I mean, I think Eric Bieniemy would be a good addition, even though 
Patrick Mahomes uh, being his quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is, is completely different. But I think that Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy is the type of coordinator that will go into the deepest, <laughs> darkest areas that they play football and find plays, you know, that would be able to be catered to Lamar Jackson. That's that's what I feel like is that's what that would make you a, a good coordinator, you know, for you to just, you know, be rolling past somewhere and then they they playing football out there in a pickup game or something like that or practice on a high school field and you just go out there and you see, you know, the the, the certain formation and you memorize it, you write it down and then you take it with you somewhere like I think that if you get somebody like the enemy, but it's going to take a special coach, you know. I don't know if Mike can uh, can get it out of him. I mean, I, I think that um, I, I think that uh, you're gonna you're gonna need a, a special guy in order to like be able to, you know, pull out that Lamar Jackson. I think Greg Roman did a good job with that. Uh, the media and draft analysis like Mel Kiper and Ty McShay as well as the combine overheights quarterbacks because they wanted quarterback first overall and put expectations on player and some needed development. My dog is like this, man. Look, it's about <laughs> it's about elevating them in order to tear them down, right? I mean, we see this all the time. We see this in sports. We see this in pop culture. They put a, a person, a woman, or a man on a pedestal, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, they they write about the great crescendo. You know what I'm saying? Them coming crashing down the earth. And I think a lot of these guys, they elevate and talk about how great they are and how they can't miss and all this kind of stuff. I think they write this stuff to put this type of hype on guys. So it gets like the fan base all excited. And then, you know, you find yourself being mad, not because you didn't do your due diligence, but because Mel Kuyper told you that, uh, you know, this guy was supposed to be the next thing since Andrew Luck, next thing since Joe Montana. Like, and it don't work like that. You know, most of these guys can be right. I'm, I can remember Mel Kuyper getting mad at the coach GM because they didn't draft Trent Dilfer, right? This man was like going in on the coach, not drafting Trent Dilfer. Now think about this, right? Think about how mediocre Trent Dilfer was as a quarterback. Great guy, by the way. You know, wish him all the best at UAB. But he really got mad, like, because they end up drafting somebody else. And, you know, he was up there talking about that's why the Colts are always picking first and all that kind of stuff there. And and the guy was like, who the hell is Mel Kuyper? It's a famous segment. So if you ain't never watched that, check it out, right? It's on Twitter somewhere uh, or uh, YouTube. But he was wrong, right? They didn't draft Trent Dilfer. Ended up being a really good decision. They ended up going with Jim Harbaugh. Yes, that Jim Harbaugh. And they went to the AFC Championship game and was a Hail Mary away from being in the Super Bowl because the the, the wide receiver almost caught the pass. They played against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We all know what happened to Pittsburgh with Neil O'Donnell throwing more picks than Razor Ramon in that Super Bowl, giving the Dallas Cowboys the last Super Bowl they ever seen in the entire uh, franchise history. But he was wrong. So sometimes, you know, that happens. Now, I'm just using that for example. I'm pretty sure in more modern times, there's been guys that they picked out have been bust or haven't been very good. But that's one that was memorable to me. But I'm just saying, like, sometimes, like, we we feel this hype and we get all hyped up and all excited about guys like, whoa, yeah, you know, because of what we heard. You know, they 
they start talking and then they start showing a slideshow of this guy throwing passes and throwing dimes down the field and you know showing all the you know the you know the you know the celebrations and him running with his finger in the air and we get all excited and we like man yeah we need some of that man man whoo you know like then it turns out dude ain't nothing you know or not what the team needs it happens somebody said tyron lou is really good if you say so <laughs> uh if you can't get the quarterback you want out of the free agency because you uh get outbidded why not just get a younger future quarterback out the draft mickey Loomis should be doing uh once better for the team not da feeling well look you got to do what's best for the team uh, I think they feel like what's best for the team is to get a veteran quarterback because maybe they don't feel like like how we feel. They don't feel like this is the right coaching staff to develop a guy. But, look, I'm not in the business of setting your team back because you want to get a guy. Like, me personally, I think that this would be the right time for the Saints to draft a quarterback, you know, and be able to develop him and try to have this guy maybe potentially the future of your franchise. But uh, I don't know. I mean, this I, mean, I don't know. The Saints are – I think the Saints have this this false sense of reality. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't sugarcoat it. I just feel like they, they think that they're much better than what they are. And to me, it goes back to my original statement. I just feel like you need a, a stronger core around this dude, you know, I want the Saints to draft a quarterback, but I wonder if there's a coach on the staff that can develop him. That's the question. Lamar still needs a big-time receiver like every other elite quarterback has. Baffles me how they ain't ever got him no weapons. I just think, I don't, look, if you're a free agent, let's, let's just be real. If you're a wide receiver, would you want to play for Lamar Jackson? I wouldn't. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. Like, he is so fun to watch like he is must-see television he is a like man i ain't seen nothing like this in vic just like everybody else but as a wide receiver i don't want it like i don't like because i know that if i have a i have potential to be a 15 16 1700 yard receiver i'm not gonna get that why because of the way the offense is structured you're, you're always going to get guys like you're always going to get guys like Rashad Bateman. You're always going to get guys, you know, that can run those like short intermediate routes. You know, like to me, Michael Thomas would be a good fit. Michael Thomas would be a really good fit with Lamar Jackson because because of his route running ability, his, his ability to be able to get separation no matter if he's getting jammed or not. He'll be a perfect fit. But if I'm a guy that, you know, like a Justin Jefferson, I'm a guy like, uh, you know, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins would be a good, good um a good receiver for him, even though T. Higgins, you know, he can he can take top off defense if you ask him to, but he's really good at running those short and media routes as well. I just think that it's kind of hard to find a guy that would want to play or commit to play without drafting, you know, with Lamar Jackson. I just it'd be hard for him, especially like, you know, especially when you know for a fact, like, you know, he gonna see one read ain't where he wanna be, he he out of there, right? And, you know, you might have been open, you know, like a few minutes or you you about to hit him with that double move. And next thing you know, I'm about to scope. But all of a sudden, you know, Lamar ain't got no time for that. You know, and he running 73 yards up the field for a touchdown. That's tough. 
That's tough, man. That's tough when it's a it's it is a results driven business. That's look. If you're a rookie, you come in, you want to make plays. Unless you're like a first look, even if you are a first round pick, you want to make plays enough plays over three, four year span that you get mega bucks. So how do you get mega bucks if you're not getting the ball? And if you possess a certain skill set and they're not showing it, they're only showing like certain levels of it. Well, when it's time for negotiations, they can lowball you. You know, all you did was run slants. All you did was run out routes, 10 yard out routes. All you did was run this, this, you know, like that's all they would do. You know, all you all you did was run this little dig here, you know, little rub route. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's hard. That's tough. You know, when a guy has that certain skill set, it's great to watch. But as a receiver, like you want somebody that's gonna stand in that pocket. You know, you know, if you're you want a, a Drew Brees type, you know, Tom Brady type, Josh Allen type, you know, like like Joe Burrow type. You want somebody that's gonna stand in that pocket and deliver you the ball and let you shine. You know, that's why TJ, most players are a scheme fit. Uh, the chat doesn't seem to know that not every player is a generational talent. 8% of the, the the players are just talented but need everything uh, else around them to be A1. Yeah. I mean, you got guys that kind of, you know, break through. Then you got guys that don't. You know, they're just average. And I think that a lot of times we get upset because we have these expectations about these guys. We feel like these guys should be at a certain level. But they don't always work that way. I don't know why Saints offensive assistant coaches got left uh, from my team to join the Denver Broncos with Coach Sean Payton. What's the next for New Orleans Saints offensive assistant coach? Well, look, Sean Payton brought those guys here. So I'm pretty sure that those guys don't have a problem with joining him in Denver. Because they probably wouldn't be here or wouldn't have been in New Orleans if it wasn't for Sean Payton. So I think that's something that we have to understand. No cap, no filter. Said TJ, what you uh, make of Larry Johnson, Dwight Smith, who was Super Bowl MVP, and now uh, Arian Foster coming out saying NFL is rigged and scripted. Uh, if so, what's the point uh, out in our emotions and finances in it? Well, look, I think that they were just kind of being sarcastic. Um, I look, I, I feel like this. Do I feel like at times um certain narratives are developed through games? Yes. Do I feel like do I feel like some of these referees have personal vendettas against these players? And sometimes they, you know, they'll they'll throw a flag, you know, just because they don't like a guy or a guy has a reputation. Absolutely. And I don't feel bad about this because I've been telling people since I've been doing this show over the last few months to check out the documentary on Netflix about Tim Donahue and how these referees talk and how they talk about how they have these little, you know, dust-ups with these players and stuff like that. And, you know, they talk about how they're going to call the game. So I don't feel bad about saying this, okay? Um, at this point, I, I mean, I just feel like that's, that's what's going on. You know, I do feel like some flags are thrown when momentum seems like it's going to be shifted a certain way, I feel like they might, you know, because if you want to be honest, you can call a flag on every play. They're not lying, right? So I do feel like if they want a game to not get out of hand, sometimes do I feel like they 
be more willing to throw a flag just to kind of make it exciting and try to stunt, stunt the, uh, the team's momentum? Yes, I do. Um, just to make it competitive. But do I feel like they just meet in the tunnel and somebody, you know, with a dark, you know, with a black hat, all black suit on, give them a card and be like, or whisper in their ear, be like, the Jets going to win the day. You know, do I? No, I don't feel that way, you know. But do I feel but do I feel like, you know, the referees sometimes, you know, go go with the flow of the game or, you know, if they see like it's going in a certain direction, do they get a little flag happy? Yes. Yes, I do. Just like, for example, now it ended up working in a favor of the Philadelphia Eagles, but it was one play, right? So it was a play with Dallas Goddard. It was the play with Dallas Goddard, right? And Dallas Goddard caught the pass, you know, and they were wondering, was it going to be inbound? And the Philadelphia Eagles hurried up, hurried the play up, right? And they were about to make another snap. And they snapped the ball. But the referees came in to me and said that the offense, they substituted, so you got to give the defense the right to, you know, to substitute too. But with that, that play didn't count. So it gave Andy Reid extra time to be able to talk to the guys upstairs and be able to say, well, I think we may need to throw a flag on this. Now, like I said, it worked in the favor of Philadelphia, but what if it didn't? You know, what if what if it was to play like, you know, with Devontae Smith? What if it was that, right? And let's just say they sped up. He didn't catch it. It was obvious. He didn't catch it, but they would have sped up and got the playoff. Well, you know, that was an advantage for Philly. So, yeah, do I feel like they they do certain things to kind of slow down the momentum to make the game more interesting or get, give the other team a chance to kind of let everything kind of sit in? Yeah, of course. Of course. But do I feel like they just be up there like they're going to lose, they're going to lose, they're going to lose? Uh, No. Now, I will be lying to you if I didn't feel a certain way back in 2018 when the Saints played the Rams. When the Rams were about two years into being in Los Angeles, and did I feel like they kind of didn't call a flag because they thought it would have gave you know the Rams a chance to possess the football, you know, once again and maybe drive downfield? Yes. Do I feel like them being in Los Angeles and trying to generate interest in Los Angeles market because? Los Angeles market is so flooded with so many other things other than football. I did believe that. You know, I do I feel like they just said the Rams need to win today? No. But do I feel like do I feel like the the NFL does certain things to generate interest, you know, when it, when a team becomes an expansion team or they become you know, they, they leave one market and go to another. I'll let you be the judge of that. I find it very ironic that the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jaguars both went to the AFC championship. I mean, NFC and AFC championship opposite, like the, the very next year that they were in the league. Like, so, like they got in the league, they had a little supplemental draft, and both teams, AFC and NFC teams, were in the championship game the following year. Now, 
Like I said, do I feel like sometimes they, they be trying to generate buzz, attention on the product? Yes, I do. Do I feel like they talk to these, these guys in their ear and tell them to don't make such a big deal out of a play? Yes. Do I feel like sometimes it, it they don't have any justification for some of those calls and that's the reason why we don't get replays sometimes? Absolutely. But as far as just going in and just thinking somebody with a black hat coming in saying this team going to win, this team going to lose, I don't know. But thank you all so much for checking out the State of the Saints podcast. Really do appreciate it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel, youtube.com, search the State of the Saints podcast network. Also, you can go to facebook.com, search the State of the Saints podcast network. Previous episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Anchor FM. And you can follow me on Twitter at TJAY jones eight till next time all i gotta say is who that